Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, human beings are living for longer periods of time, mainly due to a better diet and modern healthcare. But this also has an effect on what ultimately we die from. Over the centuries, that has changed a lot. Andrew Doig is the author of This Mortal Coil, A History of Death. Afternoon, Andrew. Hello there, Sean. Uh, could we start with lifespan? How much has that increased over the centuries? It's increased enormously. It's almost tripled. It's perhaps the greatest achievement we've ever had. If we go back 500 years ago, life expectancy was about 30. That didn't mean people, everybody lived to be 30 and died. That was because of horrendous infant mortality. And it began to rise in the richest countries in the 19th century, reaching about 50 in Western Europe and the USA in 1900. And now life expectancy is, um, on average, in the world, 73. And in places like Ireland, it's well above 80. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's extraordinary when you think back that the human race survived at all, given life expectancy uh, was so short uh, in those terms. The, the, when we be, stopped being hunter-gatherers and started being farmers and building yeah. conurbations, you know, did that lead to an, an explosion of various sorts of diseases we mightn't have got before? That's absolutely right. So this was the greatest change we've ever had in the way we've lived, going from being nomadic hunter-gatherers uh, to living in cities, it settles in one place and farming. The big difference was when we uh, stopped being hunter-gatherers, then the world was much safer in that there were fewer accidents. We didn't get, have to go out hunting dangerous animals. There was a lot less violence because we had states with laws. But uh, malnutrition came in because people were eating a much narrower range of foodstuffs, just staple foods. And there was an enormous increase in, in infectious diseases because the population got so high, it kept the diseases circulating. And we caught many diseases by living in close proximity to animals, both vermin and the animals that we were farming. And was there any way of dealing with those diseases in those days? Uh, at the time, very little. Firstly, people didn't understand what the real cause of diseases were, which is uh, microbes, germ theory. That wasn't until the 19th century. And until you really understand um, what's causing a disease, that it's hard to find a way of dealing with it. Well, people did, did understand about infection and contagion. So measures to stop diseases spreading by people traveling from place to place um, are very ancient. I mean, quarantine systems have been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years. But that was about all that they could do with it. The other solutions they had were pretty useless. Yeah. So a bit so say, I mean, and, and the Black Death would be one of the more stark examples of that, because um, that killed a massive proportion of the European population. Black Death is perhaps the worst disaster that's uh, ever hit us, uh, certainly Europe. It's contentious, but perhaps about one in three people died. Uh, the disease travelled at walking pace, came in from seaports in the Mediterranean. It travelled at walking pace, took a few years to travel um, throughout Europe. When it came into your city, it, would, it could kill half the people in the city in, in just a few months. There's been nothing like it. Uh, before or since, really. Yeah, and so, and, and it is interesting, given what we've just were just emerging from, that they were probably doing very similar things then to try and mitigate the, the spread of the Black Death. Yes, but ineffectively. 
uh, quarantine systems came in after the Black Death. So uh, the, uh, when it was understood that the disease generally arrived by sea, uh, in through seaports, places like uh, Pisa or Venice, they brought in the quarantine system, where if there were any boats cut that wanted to come into the city that was suspected of carrying plague they had to stay offshore for a period of 40 days to make sure that there was no plague so the word quarantine itself comes from quarante which is venetian dialect for 40 and it was that 40 day period and that really worked um, uh, but once he was in land then it was uh, really ineffective and people terrified people were going to run and spread the disease um, carrying it from from place to place and there's mm. very little that we could do was it really in the 20th century that the sorts of things that were killing us changed in the sense of it was that the, the role of communicable diseases uh, went down a little bit and then it was replaced by other things? Yeah, absolutely right. So this is um, a colossal change. So as I said, when we started living in cities, infectious disease became the biggest killer. And that was true virtually everywhere uh, until the 20th century. And it was only in the late 19th century that uh, vaccination was invented, which was really effective at stopping many of our biggest killers before then, like smallpox and measles. Uh, drugs came in uh, only about 100 years ago that we began to invent drugs, <coughs> excuse me, to deal with uh, infectious disease. Uh, the big one, of course, is antibiotics and penicillin, which came in about 1950. But there were a few handful before that. Um, and then life expectancy soared as we dealt, dealt with infectious disease. And most importantly, our children stopped dying from, from terrible diseases like uh, scarlet fever, typhoid and measles. Mm. And other types of diseases took out, um, other t causes of death took over, of course. So you got to die from something. <laughs> and as our life expectancy went up, we weren't dying from infectious disease. Then it was non-communicable diseases took over that we're very familiar with today and what we kind of expect, like heart attacks, stroke and cancer. Yeah, so I mean, and, and uh, well, to a degree at least, a lot of those things that are killing us now uh, have a relationship to lifestyle. Uh, that's that's quite right. Um, poor lifestyle, the, uh, we, our jobs, we, we drive to work, we sit around all day, maybe in front of a screen, we just don't have the active lifestyles that we used to have. And this has caused uh, obesity, uh, heart problems, cardiovascular problems, the poor diet we have, also linked to cancer, stroke, things like this, and smoking, of course. Smoking was a disastrous invention. Uh, the cigarette was only invented, invented in the late 19th century, and most men were smoking by about uh, 1950 um, in the Western world, mm. which has had a terrible effect on uh, our health. The, the increase in lifespan, uh, is that slowing down or will it, will it continue at the same pace, do you think? OK, at the moment it's actually dropping because of COVID. But if you take the long view, uh, we'll always have infect new infectious diseases appearing from time to time, new strains of flu and so on. They're blips if you take the real long view. And I think in a year or two, uh, COVID won't be too much to worry about. So if you smooth out these these dips caused by infection, then a lifespan uh, is still on an upward trend. Uh, at the moment, in uh, rich Western countries like Ireland, as I said, it's well above 80. The highest life expectancy is Japan, above 85, and, and the trend is still going up. Uh, and that's despite 
you know, perhaps unhealthy lifestyles we might have or even, you know, something of an arms race when it comes to antibiotics and, and, and uh, the things antibiotics are supposed to attack mutating and then antibiotics becoming a bit less effective. Well, antibiotic resistance is sure to happen. This, this is simply uh, evolution in action and, and it can't be stopped. Any bacteria that can ha- happens to randomly have mutations, which means it can survive antibiotics, is going to produce the next generations of bacteria. Um, at the moment, it's not an enormous, it's not an enormous problem, this resistance, but potentially it could be. We have to keep uh, researching antibiotics and use them more carefully. We abuse them, yeah. and that's one of the reasons that we generate uh, this resistance. Uh, so is there an upper limit to life expectancy? If we take the long view. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So we can say if we did, if we just used what we understand right now and had the best diet, best lifestyles, best kind of health care, then we could be like Japan, which has the highest life expectancy in the world, about 85. So that's absolutely achievable uh, for all of us. If we want to go beyond 85, then we're going to need new discoveries, new revolutions in healthcare. Because if we want to take it up to the 90s, then we're going to have to seriously tackle our biggest killers like cancer and heart disease. And research goes on. There's a lot of exciting things going on at the moment. Um, Whether any of these will will pay off, um, who can say? Well, I look forward to the two of us talking about this again in 40 or 50 years. Uh, uh, Andrew Doig is a professor of biochemistry at the University of Manchester and the author of This Mortal Coil, A History of Death. Andrew, thank you very much. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.